Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. I'm excited to be in church. How many of you know in the end of the story of everything we're going through, God wins? God wins. The battle belongs to the Lord, whatever it is that you're facing today. I believe that God is going to meet us in the moments that we have. We've already had church, by the way. But I think God is just getting started. He's preparing our hearts for the Word and what He wants to speak to you. We've been in this series called Goliath Must Fall, talking about those giants in our life like fear and depression, anxiety, things that that really need to get stripped from our lives. And I think that although we can look at the big victories that David had along the way. Today we're going to learn about some of those failures and about how we continually move forward even when we fail. Would you pray with me? God, I pray right now that you would open up our hearts and our minds. Thank you for the the, the reminder, God, that the battles that we face, they belong to you. The battle belongs to the Lord. And so right now, God, as we dive into your word today, I pray that it would come alive once again that you would meet us here in these moments that we have together and that we would never be the same because of the time we spent in your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Come on, thank you, band, for leading us so well. You can go ahead and have a seat. How many of you know that in life you are either moving forward or you're moving backward? There is no stationary. You know that? And the goal really in this series has been to move forward to get beyond some of those giants that you and I face in our life. And there's no better person to look at than the original giant killer himself, David. And there's so many great things that we can take away from his life and the events of his life, so many great things that we can admire about David. How many of you know we admire people? You know we admire things? And we all admire different things, by the way. Um, And we admire things based on our perspective based on our lenses that we view the world, based on the things that we see around us. Like we admire all kinds of different things. For, for example, some of you, you might admire the fact that the leaves are changing colors. The fall is coming. You might be like that happy tree guy. What's his name? Bob Ross. You, you, you admire the fall foliage. You like that. I, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm down with the fall. I like the fall. I just don't like the, the yard cleanup that comes along with the fall. I don't admire that. Uh, Maybe you admire the outdoors, like you love getting outdoors, you love sitting in a a tree stand and deer season is opening up and you just, you admire that kind of thing. We all admire different things. You might admire people and there's nothing wrong with that. You should. You know, there are people that you admire because of their integrity or because of their character and perhaps you've even said that, I admire that person and their integrity. I admire, you know, their, their life. We admire different things. If you were watching the, the b- debates this last week, there was not a lot to admire about those. That's not a political statement, by the way. I'm not saying you should be on one side or the other, so don't email me. I'm just saying there was not a lot that was admirable going on. We all admire different things, right? Maybe it is uh, you admire people because of their strength and their courage, Maybe you see somebody walking through something in their life and you're like, man, I can't believe the fortitude and the courage that they have to to walk through that difficult season that they're in. And so you admire that. Maybe you admire somebody's talents and abilities and, and skill. Maybe you look at them and think, man, I wish I could sing like that. You know that brother was just up here singing? It's like, man. Like he can sing, I admire that. I can't carry a tune in a bucket and he can, he can sing. 
So you admire that. Maybe you admire the way somebody is a great athlete and the, the way that they have skill on the court or on, on the field. Maybe you admire the guy that just walks by a gym and his biceps double in size. Don't you hate that guy, by the way? Doesn't even have to go in, just walks by. We all admire different people and different things. However, I submit that while we admire different things, ultimately we admire the same thing. How is that, Colby? That's a little confusing. Because I, I think that we admire the successes that people have. We generally don't admire their failures. Like, we generally don't admire when someone, you know, the, the guy that, that loses his family, that loses his job, that, that has financially made some, some terrible mistakes. Like, we don't necessarily admire that. We typically admire the successes that people have and not their failures. Why? Because the thing that we admire about them is something that we want. I'll say it this way. We often admire what we desire. And so if I see a, a character trait in you, I see some aspect of your life where you are winning I want that thing. I'll, I'll admire that thing that you have. In fact, I think we could say it this way. Follow me on this. We observe things that, that, are, that we possess, but we admire things that we want. So in other words, if, if I'm a great singer and you're a great singer, I observe that about you and I think, hey, you're a great singer. What's up? Me too, bro. Let's do a duet, right? Or, or if, you know, you can, you know, go walk past the gym and get swole, right? And, and, and I'm a big guy too. Then it's like, I observed that about you. I don't necessarily admire that about you, but if I can't do that and I want that trait, then I admire that success. We, we admire successes, not weaknesses. We admire people that are winning, not when they are, are failing because those are areas in their life that we want to win in. So that's why I'm saying that is because we see a great marriage and we often say, I, I, want, I want that kind of marriage. You know, I'll, I'll wish my marriage was like that, or we'll see someone that's doing well financially, and I wish my finances were like that. I, we see a great parent who is organized, who's just killing it as a parent, and we're like, man, I want to be that way. I admire that. I desire to have that trait. I want to emulate that. And I say that because if there's ever a guy in the Bible we should want to emulate is David. David is known to be a man after God's own heart. In fact, the Bible tells us that God was looking throughout the world. And he was looking for someone who was after his own heart. And he said, I found a guy. And it's David. Like, we, we, we want that. Like, if that was you, uh, you'd have that as your profile on your LinkedIn page. Man after God's own heart. Right? That would be your, your profile on Facebook. That would be your bio on Instagram. You would try to insert that into every conversation that you ever had. Hey, 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 how are you doing? Good, good. You hear what God says about me? I'm a man after God's own heart. Right? No big deal, but I'm kind of a big deal. Like, you, you, you want people to know that about you. And so I think it's okay, and as a believer, we should try to emulate some of the characteristics and quality traits that we see in, in people in God's words like David. We should try to be people after God's heart. We, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with trying to, to emulate some of the actions and characteristics we read about. It was Paul, in fact, who said, um, follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, do what I do. So there is a lot of good in that, but here is the danger. And here's what I want to talk about. The danger is we can become blinded by the successes of people that we see and read about or people that we admire and never grab a hold of the complete picture. Never allow the, the whole picture to develop. Wait, can you hand me that camera real quick? Thanks, this is my son Wade. What's up, buddy? I owe you $5 now, don't I? 
I said every time I have to say one of my kids' names, I have to give them $5. So you guys remember these right here? Polaroid cameras? Like you just kind of click and shoot. In fact, I'm going to just take a picture of you guys right there. So snuggle up. Actually, don't do that if you don't know each other. Social distancing, six feet. You remember these? And the film would come out, and then what do you do with it? You shake it. Shake it, shake, shake it, shake it like a polar. Right? You do that, right? You shake it. Or, or my grandmother used to put it under a light, which I'm not sure that was the best thing for it. Some people would put it under their arm. You know, you do whatever you can to help that, that picture to develop. And Polaroids aren't really known for their quality. You know, it's not necessarily a, a great photo. It, it leaves a lot to be, to be desired. You don't necessarily get the, the whole picture. And I think the danger is, in this series, we can take snapshots of David's life. Or we can take snapshots of successes and victories that people have, right? And that's all we see. We see where they're winning. We see where uh, God is moving in their life in a big way. And so we begin to pursue that success. I want to have that picture. I want my life to, to look like that or that victory. The problem is when we do that, we set unattainable goals. Because all you see is a snapshot. All you see is an instance of their life. You're not seeing the complete picture that's been developed. And and what happens is we often get blindsided when failure comes along. I'll I'll say it this way. A lot of times we see uh, people's life, we see their highlight reel. And if all we do is focus on their highlight reel, we'll get blindsided by what gets left on the cutting room floor. On all the stuff that you don't see. That got that person to that place, to that victory, to that success that they had in their, their life. So all if you do, if all you do is say, I admire that about that person. I wish I had that kind of faith. I wish I had that kind of walk with God. I wish that I was that kind of husband. I wish that I was that kind of wife. I wish I was that kind of, of parent or had that financial success. If all we see is that success and we get blinded by that, we don't see the whole story. Are you with me? We don't see the, the complete picture. There's more to develop. And if you don't fully develop the picture, then you're in trouble when failure comes along. Because how many of you know failure will happen? You will make some bad mistakes. You will make some, some choices, some bad decisions in your life. And maybe, maybe not you. Maybe you've had a different journey than a lot of us have. But for me, my journey's typically been one step forward and about 800 steps back. Anybody else? It's been roadblock after roadblock after barrier, then finally a little breakthrough, a little success, and then a couple steps back, and then like five more steps forward, and then three steps back. That's been the journey that I'm on, but the danger is if all we focus on is the successes and the victories, what happens when failure comes? And if you and I are attempting to remove the giants from our, our life, and we have some picture in our mind of what victory and success looks like, what happens when that picture is only partially developed? And there's more that we need to see. Because I think a lot of times the picture that we have developed as a Christian or a follower of Jesus, if that's you today, if that's not you today, by the way, man, I'm praying that, that God is drawing you to him and you take that step of giving your life to Jesus. But as a Christian, sometimes we think, well, if I just follow the formula, and if I just do what they did, then it's all going to to turn out well. It'll be success after success, right? That's what God's word says. He'll take me from victory to victory, from glory to glory, from mountaintop to mountaintop, forgetting that in between every mountaintop, there's a valley. And every, every victory 
often has a setback before you get there. And so what do you do when failure hits? When somewhere uh, failure hits in that journey, all of a sudden you, you're like, God, where were you? What, what, what happened? God, you didn't come through the way I thought you came through, and you'll want to quit, and you'll want to give up, and I'm just trying to help you today to keep moving without quitting. Are you with me? Even in the middle of failure, even when failure comes, because I believe you can move from failure to setback to success and continually move forward in this journey. In fact, if you want a title for this message, I'm calling it Moving Forward Through Failure. Because failure, you can learn a lot from failure. You can grow a lot through, through failure. And your failure that you're in now could be the thing that catapults you to the victory that you have later. So David, if you have your Bible, we're going to jump around a little bit in 2 Samuel. But also, and here I'm going to give you guys this picture. We'll see if that turns out. We're also going to turn to First Chronicles as well. So if you have your Bible, you can pull it out. But David, right, the man after God's own heart, um, I don't think we fully developed the picture that we have of this man's life in this series. So I'm going to read a little bit from 2 Samuel, verse 11, 1 through 5. It'll be up on the screen as well. It says this, that in the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Uh-oh. Somebody say, uh-oh. Yeah, right. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. So here is, is David, our man after God's own heart, sleeping with another man's wife. Is this helping to develop the picture a little bit? Like David, right, the, the guy who had victory after victory has a major moral failure in this, this moment. Took another man's wife, got her pregnant, and I know some of you are thinking, your mistakes don't look that bad right now. You're like, bro, like my mistakes, I'm, I'm okay because I, I at least didn't take someone's wife and sleep with her. But David finds himself, the Bible says, when kings should go off to war, he stayed back. So his moral failing was preceded by a lack of responsibility, uh, neglect for the job that he should have had. He should have been out with his army. He should have been leading the charge against the Israelites. He should have been, you know, taking care of business as, as the king, but he finds himself neglecting his responsibility. He finds himself with his guard down and his accountability absent from his life, and in that moment gets tempted and he fails because between every victory there may be some setbacks and the bible goes on it doesn't it doesn't stop there because david now has a dilemma what do i do you know i I, this woman is pregnant what should i do verse 14 says this so the next morning david wrote a letter to joab and gave it to uriah to deliver let me pause right here because when david found out that bathsheba was pregnant and that it was his because, by the way, Bathsheba took him on the Maury Povich show. And Maury said, and you are the father. <laughs> Found out she was pregnant and that it was his. David came up with a plan. 
And David's like, all right, I'm going to get Uriah. We're going to bring him home off the battlefield, and he's going to sleep with his wife. Hoping that, right, you know, they're going to think that he slept with her. He's the one that got her pregnant, and now David is off the hook. But that's not how it worked. Because what David didn't count on was the fact that Uriah was a man of integrity and a man of character. And so he brought him home off the battlefield, said, go home, sleep with your wife. And he's like, no. He slept on the palace at the palace gate, at the door. David's like, why didn't you do that? He's like, how could I go home to my wife when my men were sleeping on the battlefield? And so David tries again. In fact, he gets him drunk. And he says, go home and sleep with your wife. And he still doesn't do it. And so David now has to come up with another plan. What do I, I do? And that's where we get to verse 15. Sent him with this letter. And the letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is the fiercest. Then pull back so that he will be killed. So not only does David make a major moral failure, a relational failure, but now he tries to cover up that failure. He tries to manage his image. How many of you know we get into trouble when we go into image management mode? That's where he was. He tried to cover up his, his, his sin with another sin. Because oftentimes our sin will take us further and dig us deeper into a hole than we realize. And that's what was happening with David. But in order to manage his, his image... He had to cover up this sin, so he sends Uriah back to the, the commander of the army with his own kill order in hand, saying that, put Uriah on the front lines where the battle is the fiercest, and when it gets heated, withdraw, so that it will be one versus an entire army. And so that's what they did, and Uriah was killed. So not only does David have a major relational failure, moral failure, but he has a man killed, so he could take the wife of Uriah into the palace. Is this becoming a little more developed? David, a man after God's own heart. David, who is revered today as one of the greatest kings, by the way, that ever, ever lived in the nation of Israel. You go there today, and this is not to dishonor him. This is just to give us the complete picture. The David, the, the giant slayer, that between those victories, you may face some failures. Between those, those, you know, victories, you might have some setbacks. And if you think everything is success after success after success, victory after victory, when those failures come, it will cripple you. And I'm not trying to be negative. I'm not trying to depress you today. I'm just telling you, you're going to have moments where you make some bad mistakes, where you make some decisions, where you do something that you know you shouldn't do. Or, or that you didn't do something that you know you, you should do. It might not be adultery. It might not be murder. It might be. But you, you're going to make those, those mistakes. And if, and if all you think about is success after success, when that failure comes, it will cripple you. David flat out failed. Yeah, but that's only one time, PC. Uh-uh. Let's turn again. Here we go. Second Samuel 13. So he has a moral failure, relationship failure, and then he has a guy murdered. Now look at this. He has a huge parental failure. In verse 23 of 2 Samuel 13, it says, two years later, when Absalom's sheep were being sheared, two years later is, is referring to an event that happened two years before when uh, one of David's sons, Amnon, slept with his sister. And so he kind of Absalom's sister. And so Absalom's mad and they, you know, they leave and they kind of separate. He doesn't say anything about it. And so he kind of comes up with this, this plan. So this family has all kinds of, of dysfunction right now. He sexually violates one of David's daughters. 
But two years later, when Absalom's sheep were being sheared at Baal Hazar, near Ephraim, Absalom invited all the king's sons to come to a feast. He went to the king and said, my sheep shears are now at work. Would the king and his servants please come to celebrate the occasion with me? So Absalom's got this long plan that he's been putting into place. The king replied, no, my son, if we all came, we would be too much of a burden for you. Absalom pressed him, but the king would not come, though he gave Absalom his blessing. Well then, Absalom said, if you can't come, how about sending my brother Amnon with us? Why Amnon, the king asked. But Absalom kept on pressing the king until he finally agreed to let all his sons, including Amnon, attend. So Absalom prepared a feast fit for a king. Verse 28, Absalom told his men, wait until Amnon gets drunk. Then at my signal, kill him. Don't be afraid. I am the one who has given this command. Take courage and do it. So at his signal, they killed him. So not only does David have a relational failure, a moral failure, has a man murdered, right? But now we see he has this great parental failure. His children are violating each other. His sons are murdering one another, right? This went from the Maury show to now this is Jerry Springer all up in here, right? Like it's crazy. And some of you parents, you think you got it bad because you can't keep your kids from touching each other in the backseat of the car. You know, they're like, you're just trying to swat them just to connect to something in the backseat. Leave each other alone. Like, this is nuts. This doesn't even seem like reality what's happening right here. You can't even comprehend this. So not only was it a huge parental failure, but he also commits a leadership failure. I'm going to give you one more, one more. First Chronicles chapter 21. Satan rose up. Again, this is just developing the complete picture. Otherwise, we're going to leave here thinking it's only success to success to success. We have to look at some of the failures in this man's life too. Satan rose up against Israel and caused David to take a census of the people of Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the army, take a census of all the people of Israel from Beersheba in the south to Dan in the north. And bring me a report so I may know how many there are. But Joab replied, may the Lord increase the number of his people a hundred times over. But why, my lord the king, do you want me to do this? Are they not all your servants? Why must you cause Israel to sin? Don't miss that. But the king insisted that they take the census, so Joab traveled throughout all of Israel to count the people, and he returned to Jerusalem. So you might be wondering, why is this a a leadership failure? Having David take a, a census, what's the big deal? Well, God told him that you don't count anything that doesn't belong to you. And in David counting the nation of Israel, he's you know, kind of saying that they, they belong to him. And God's like, nope, they are mine. Like you might be the king, but Israel is, is mine. And so in doing that, he brought condemnation not only on himself, but on the nation of Israel. It was a leadership failure. So if we look at these four moments in David's life, moral failure, had a man murdered, parental failure, and a leadership failure. Like, he, he went through it. I'm just developing the whole picture. Now, it, I thought that maybe at this point in the message, the room would feel a little bit depressed. Like, man, what, what is going on with this guy? This is super discouraging. But isn't it interesting that even though God knew how David would behave, Knowing that he would commit these these failures, knowing that he wouldn't always get it right, God still called him a man after his own heart. And shouldn't that give you a little bit of an indication how God sees you? 
even in your failures, even in your shortcomings, even when we don't get it right all the time, could it be that God's desire for us is perhaps more about our pursuit of him and less about perfection? God's never called you to be perfect. You're not gonna be perfect. You're human. I can guarantee your pursuit will not be perfect. But he's not concerned with perfection. He's concerned with you pursuing his heart and pursuing what he's called you to do. If we could do perfection, by the way, we wouldn't need Jesus and the cross was pointless. But we can't do perfection. And so we desperately needed Jesus to cover our imperfections. So how do we then take failure and not allow it to be that thing that keeps us stuck, but to continually move forward in it? How do we allow that failure to be the launching platform to the next victory that God has in our life? I'm gonna give you six things. I believe that these are really gonna help us in this journey, move forward through our failure. And hopefully by the end of this, I'm gonna have you leaving here with you know hope and joy in your heart and soul because right now you look like you wanna crawl under a rock. All right, so... Write these down, because failure has an important function in your life. Did you know that? Failure plays a huge role in your life. If you're going to move forward through failure, you have to move some things. And the first thing to move is this idea of game over to game on. When we fail, because we will fail, when that happens, it does not have to mean game over. And a lot of us take that failure, and we believe it is fatal in our life. And we believe that we cannot move forward through that, that failure, get beyond it. We have these moments where we feel like we don't measure up, where we feel like we, we got it wrong. And here's what I think sometimes we do, especially as followers of Jesus, especially in our faith. Like we have this picture that we're never going to mess up, that we're never going to get it wrong, that we're going to do every, everything right. And then when something happens and we get it wrong, we feel like it's game over. We feel like we can't recover we feel like we'll never get traction. In fact, we say things like, I blew it. It's over. I'm, I'm done. Now, real quick, when you do fail, you have to own it. Are you with me? Like, if it's your fault, you have to, to own it. You don't point fingers. It's not someone else's fault. It's not your mom's fault. It's not your dad's fault. It's not your teacher's fault. It's not your boss's fault. Like, you need to own your failure. You need to own it when you blow it. The people that point fingers, they never move forward. Those that make excuses, right? You, you've heard it said you can either make excuses or you can make changes. You can't do both. Like they, they don't move forward. But in owning that failure, what you're doing is you don't allow it to become fatal in your life. And some of you have had, had failure become fatal to where you can't move forward, to where you're stuck there thinking it's game over, that you quit, you might as well give up. Let me just tell you, if you fail, it's not fatal. You get back up. You keep moving. You have to move it from this idea of game over to game on. Don't let it kill the dream. Don't let it kill the pursuit and the passions that God has placed inside of you. Like, you know this. You've lived life long enough to know there's going to be setbacks, to know that there's going to be some bumps along the way. In fact, what looked like a setback in my life often was a setup for a comeback. Anybody else? Has it been that way in your life? Like what was a setback ultimately led you to the, the next level, the next victory that God had for you? So don't allow failure to stop you from pursuing everything that God has for you. So you failed. Okay, keep going. Are you with me? It's not game over. It's game on. What does that look like? It looks like this. Hey, I failed at being a good husband today. 
Okay, well, tomorrow be a better husband. Okay, tomorrow work harder. Try to do better. I failed at being a parent today. Okay, tomorrow is a new day. It's not game over. It's game on. Maybe you didn't make the best decisions. Maybe you didn't, you know, lead your kids the best way. But tomorrow you get to pick yourself up and try again. Okay, I didn't make a great financial decision today. Well, stop digging yourself into a financial pit, into a hole of debt, you know, and and do better tomorrow. Are you with me? It's not game over. Okay, so I wasn't a great follower of Jesus. I had a huge mistake. Let me just remind you, you can never fail beyond God's ability to forgive you and give you grace in your life. And so don't ever let that be excuse. Like pick yourself up. It's not game over. It is game on, game on. Here's the second thing you have to move. Retreating to receiving. When you have failure in your life, if you're gonna move forward through it, you have to move this idea of retreating to receiving. Some of us, we have a default response when we fail, and that is to retreat. And that is to run, that is to hide, that is to go crawl you know, under a rock to cut ourselves off from anyone and everyone, to isolate ourselves. In fact, a lot of times how it plays out is maybe you, you failed in your life, maybe you failed as a follower of Jesus, you, you, you made a mistake, and this is what the enemy starts to speak to you. They will never accept you again. No one's ever going to love you again after what you did, after that thing that, that you did. There, no one's ever going to accept you. And so because of that voice, we begin to retreat. And I see this all the time. And so now all of a sudden, you're not coming back to church because you failed and because you're retreating. Now all of a sudden, you're not, you're not on your serve team anymore. Now all of a sudden, you're not doing your small group anymore. Now all of a sudden, you've cut yourself off and isolated yourself from anyone and everyone. You've retreated because all you can think about is the way that you failed, that mistake that you, you made. But I submit in those moments, you have to receive. God, what is it that you want me to learn through this failure? What is it? What, what is the mistake that I made? All right, I blew it. Well, God, will you teach me in the middle of this failure? What do I need to receive? Retreating from your failure without learning from that failure always leads to repeating that failure. The same thing over and over again. And some of you have to get out of that, that cycle, that perpetual cycle of failure, but you're not getting out because you retreat when failure comes. So what do we do? We receive. We receive. We take a step back from that setback and say, I'm not making that decision again. I'm not going down that path again. You're not going to catch me, you know, doing that again. Like we, we receive. We should always, listen, we should never waste a failure You know how you waste a failure is when you fail at something, but you refuse to learn something from it. That's when a failure is wasted. And we shouldn't waste any of the failures in our our life. So move it from retreating to receiving. Here's a third one. And you got to move from fading to fueling. What do I mean by that? We got to learn to let that, that failure be the fuel in our life to propel us to that next victory, not to cause us to fade away, not to cause us to to shrink back in fear. For me, this is where I live. And I don't know how it plays out for you, but when I fail, when I do something or say something that I shouldn't say, like for me, a lot of times, that voice starts to kick up in my mind, man, you're a terrible husband. You're a terrible pastor. You're a terrible, terrible father. And in those moments, like I just wanna fade away. Like in those moments, I just want to go home, close the blinds, crash on the couch, 
binge watch some Parks and Rec with a whole package of E.L. Fudge cookies. Y'all don't know nothing about no L. Fudge cookies. I could just, I could go to town. Like in those moments, I just want to fade away. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to mess, you know, with, with anybody. I just want to, I want to do my own thing. I want, to, I want to go outside and blow something up or start a fire, you know, do something. Because that failure didn't inspire me. It intimidated me. It intimidated me from doing what God has called me to do, feeling like I'm a, I'm a failure. I'm just telling you, if you're going to move forward through it, you have a decision to make. Either you can let it cause you to fade away, or it can fuel you and like ignite you to that thing that God has you to do. In fact, this is what Proverbs 24, 16 says, the righteous fall seven times, but what? They keep getting back up. You just got to keep back up. Like you want to move from victory to victory, from, from glory to glory. That's how you do it. When you fail, you just keep getting back up. That's why you look at someone's life and you admire them and you think, man, I wish I had that kind of faith or I wish I had that kind of journey. But the part of the picture that you're not seeing is the fact that when they failed, they got back up. You're not seeing the resilience that was in their life. That's the part of the, the picture that you're missing. And you've got to learn to say, okay, I failed. I own it. I've learned from it. Now I'm fueled by it with more passion than I had before. Are you with me? Get fueled up by your failure. Don't let it cause you to, to fade away. Number next. Keep moving. Here we go. You move it from a monument to a moment. And this is the one that I hope you get this one in your soul right here. Because here's what you've got to understand. Your failures, when you have them, and we all have them, it's a singular experience. It's not the end of your story. And a lot of us, when we fail, we will set that failure up to be a monument in our life. And now we identify our life by that failure. Now we identify our life by our, our mistakes and we define ourselves by that, that failure. We've set it up as a, a, as a monument instead of realizing it was a moment. It was an experience. We looked at four moments of David's life. That's not his entire story though, is it? Your failure is not your entire story. Your failure does not define who you are. Only God gets to define who you are, right? Only the creator gets to define his creation. And so you can't define it. And so let me remind you who God says you are, by the way. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You have been set apart as his own special possession, that in Christ you are loved and completely accepted. That's who you are. And so you need to remember that. So you don't get to define that, but when we have a failure, man, we live there. And we set that failure up as a monument in our life, defining us, this immovable monument. Don't make a monument out of something that was a moment. Maybe it wasn't your best moment. Maybe it wasn't your brightest moment, your most shining moment. Maybe it was a moment that you would rather forget. Maybe it was a moment that you wouldn't want anybody to know about. But God says you are more than the moments of failure in your life. That you get to move forward through those. You can't let that failure be set up as a monument in your life, allowing it to define you for the rest of your life. So some of you need to stop calling yourself adulterer. Some of you need to stop identifying yourself as loser. You need to stop calling yourself these things that God does not call you. Remind yourself who you are in him. Real quick, here's another one. Derailment to direction. 
You got to move derailment to direction. Did you know some of the greatest products that you and I consume are the result of failures? WD-40. You know why it's called 40? Because they failed 39 times. That's true. Like bubble wrap. You know what bubble wrap was meant to be? Trendy wallpaper. I'm, I'm serious. And then IBM picked it up, got a hold of it because they want to transport some of their computers with the product and keep it safe. And so what happened was something that was a failure, had, they had to redirect, they had to reevaluate and go a different direction. And it ultimately ended up becoming something that was crazy profitable for that company, made them more money than they could have ever imagined. And that new direction became something that exploded in their, in their business. And the same is true for you. Like when you fail, don't look at it as a derailment in your life. Look at it as, all right, God, maybe this isn't the direction that I'm supposed to go. Maybe it is the the beginning of the direction that God ultimately had for you. Don't allow failure to derail the vision of God's plan for your your life. Here's a final one that I want to give you. And that is you have to move shame to success. When I look at um, the failures in my life, whenever I fail, this is the first thing that the enemy wants to attach to that failure. And I bet the same is true for you, that it's shame. Because if he can cause you to live in shame and guilt of your failure, then he knows you're never going to move forward. You're never going to press on beyond that. If he can cause you to live in shame, then it's going to pull you down and you're never going to reach your, your full potential. That's what the enemy wants. But we need to move this this shame that we feel when we fail to success. Because here's what I I want you to to understand. The good news is that failing is a sign that you're trying. That you're not giving up. Yes, we all have giants. And maybe even in this series, you failed at defeating some of those giants in your life. And maybe now you're, you're sitting there in shame. I couldn't do it. I couldn't move past it. I couldn't get rid of it. But failing means that you're trying. You know why David was a great king, labeled as a great king, as as a man after God's own heart? Because he tried. He wasn't a man after God's own heart because he was a man after God's heart one day. He was a man after God's heart every day. In fact, he wrote psalms of of his failures. I think Psalm 51, uh, about the time he failed with Bathsheba, said, Create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Right? Those, Those are the things that David, every single day, was a man after God's own heart. Failing means you're trying. And when you're trying, can I tell you that success is just around the corner? That even in this valley of of failures that we have, God will lead you ultimately to to victory. That's what we want. He was a great king, not because he never failed. You are going to be a great parent, not because you don't fail. The best parents I know are ones that have made huge mistakes, that have learned from those mistakes, that haven't allowed those mistakes to, to derail them or to define them but have moved on from those mistakes. The best marriages are not the marriages that have never gone through anything tough. The strongest marriages have weathered some storms, how many of you know? You've been through some stuff. The greatest leaders aren't great leaders because they've never failed. It's because they failed forward. 
And they continue to, to move forward. The best boxers, they've had their nose broken time after time after time after time. It's the same thing. Trying, trying. Failing is a sign that you are, are trying. You gotta get back up because I promise you success is around the corner. And I know as we look to defeat these giants in our life, you're gonna have those moments of failure. And if all I ever taught you was success after success after success, that would not be the complete picture. There'd still be a lot left to develop. And if you're gonna make it through those failures in your life, we have to move from, I'm gonna read them all, game over to game on. Let that setback be a setup for a comeback. Retreat to receive. God, what are you saying to me in this failure? Fade to fuel. How can you allow that failure to fuel you forward? And to continue to pursue what God has for you, monument into moment. Don't live there. Stop living there. In Jesus' name, that's not who you are. That failure does not define you. Derailment to direction, it could just lead to the greatest innovation and direction of your life. Shame to success. Shame to success. The enemy wants to shame you. And you know what I've learned? The enemy has made a huge mistake when he wants you to live there in shame. Because that point of shame in your life can become the area that God uses as a platform for his strength. The Bible says it's in our weakness that his strength is perfected. So use that weakness, use that failure as something that you surrender to God to allow him to make you strong in that area. That's what I'm believing for you. Would you stand up? I just wanna pray a blessing over you tonight, today whatever time it is. Would you just bow your heads with me? God, right now, we ask that you would strengthen us. Even in our failures, God, we want to surrender those to you to leverage that, that, that failure for your glory that we know it's not all just victory after victory after victory. We've lived life long enough to know that in between those mountaintops, we're going to have some valleys, and they're going to be hard. They're going to want to hold us down, and the enemy is going to want to keep us in shame, God. But we say today, there's no shame in our game. You can't hold us here. And so, God, we want to surrender to you all the ways that we failed so that we can move forward and so that your, your strength is made perfect in our weakness, God, so that you can show up in our lives in those areas where we've got it wrong. God, we can't do this without you. We need your strength. We need the power of the Holy Spirit living and working through us every single day. We want to be a man after your heart, a woman after your, your heart, not just in one day, but every single day. God, give us, give us fresh eyes, fresh vision. Fan the flame inside of our heart to continue to move forward in the path that you have marked out for each and every one of us. And God, the ways that we failed right now, we just repent. And we believe, God, that as we give them up to you and surrender that to you, you will strengthen us. With every head bowed, every eye closed, while we're praying, there are some of you right now that you've never allowed the sacrifice of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection to cover all of your sins, all of your failures, all your mistakes. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, meaning your failures are gone. 
that God does not see those. In fact, he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. And when we come before him and we confess Jesus as Lord and we believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead, we would be saved. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. And so today, maybe that's the decision you need to make to once and for all cross that line of faith and give your life to follow Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to come inside of you, work in and through you, giving you power to face your failures and power to follow God's plan for your life. I wanna lead you in a prayer that does that right now, wherever you are. You can say something like this. You can use your own words. Jesus, today, I give you my life. I surrender to you. Forgive me for all the ways I've failed, for all of my mistakes. Jesus, I confess you as Lord. And I believe that you died on the cross so that I could be saved, so that I could be set free, so that I could have a new start in you. So you are my Lord and you are my Savior. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. And we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it. So please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com slash yes. There'll be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com slash give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.